So what's interesting is that you're not actually physically taking out the plastic or the styrofoam, you're actually utilizing that styrofoam to create the material to then remove other pollutants. So this idea of using waste to remove other waste was um, really interesting to me uh, early on and therefore why I wanted to pursue uh, this project. On behalf of the members of the Connecticut Academy of Science and Engineering, welcome to this episode of Learning and Living STEM in Connecticut, the podcast of the Connecticut Academy of Science and Engineering. My name is Tan Dillian. I'm an elected member of the Academy and serve on its governing council. For more information about the Academy, please visit www.ctcase.com. Org. I am pleased to have as our guest Naomi Park, a senior at Greenwich High School. The topic is conducting science research in high school, my experiences competing in local to international science fairs. Welcome, Naomi. Hi, um, it's great to be here and thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's our pleasure to have you uh, and thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to be here with us. Uh, can you please share a bit about yourself? Um, yeah, so uh, my name is Naomi. I'm from Greenwich, um, and I go to Greenwich High School currently. I've been in my school's science research program since freshman year, and I guess that's the focus of today's podcast, um, how I've really liked my journey in science research from being a freshman um, and even stepping way back to middle and elementary school to now about to go off to college um, and, having, and having been and having competed in um, many different fairs and competitions. Yes, uh, you, are, you are quite an accomplished young lady. And uh, again, we are, we are certainly honored to have you uh, on this podcast. Let's, let's kind of let's jump into some, some of the topics a bit. Can you take us through the journey of how you began science research? What initially sparked your interest? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think for me, definitely just looking back on how far I've come, sure. uh, I think it's more than just back to freshman year. It's actually in elementary school. So when I was in third grade, we had this program called Genius Hour. And essentially every Friday, um, our teacher would allocate around one or two hours um, for us to really just do whatever we want and explore any topic that we were interested in. And so at the time, I was really excited about this program and remember thinking to myself of like all these grand problems that I could be able to solve. The one problem being was that I had no idea where to start and had virtually limitless options of, you know, what I could potentially pursue, um, but no clear direction in mind. And for me, this resonates um, with my with picking a project um, in high school, too. There's so many different avenues that people can go, but um, it's really hard to narrow that down. And so anyways, I remember waking up morning when I was like seven or eight years old to a really bad cramp in my right hand. Um, and I later discovered that this was because um, of a, a, like a really tight grip that I would have when I was writing. 
And so I think for me, this was a turning point because it was the first time where I, I had faced a solution, uh, faced a problem that was really palpable, personal, and above all solvable. Like I had the means to come up with a way to solve um, this and uh, mitigate my hand cramps. And so essentially through all of this, I had created a sensor called pressure pen that would emit a red light or just a light based on how someone, how tight someone was holding like a pen or a pencil. And so every time I saw this light, um, it would act as a reminder for me to loosen up my grip. And although any like real world impact was pretty much inconsequential, um, for me, it acted as a really big turning point as I saw confidence in myself and being able to solve challenges that I see in the world today. And so as I grew older, going into the high school, I definitely became more attuned to a multitude of challenges and problems that society faces. And even going into uh, high school, I was particularly interested in um, mitigating the environmental degradation and pollution that has accumulated over the years. And yeah, that's just a little bit about me. Wow, that's uh, that's pretty impressive for you know a seven year old and you're you're uh, designing a sensor. I mean that's uh, that that takes a lot of uh, putting a lot of different things together in order to come up with a holistic solution. And I find it actually interesting that because uh, you know penmanship is not really a, a thing these days, and the fact that you're you are actually you know writing with a with a pen is uh, is quite remarkable. So. So good, good for you. Good for you. Thank you. So uh, could you briefly explain what your Regeneron Science Talent Search Project is about? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So the Regeneron Science Talent Search, I guess I'll give a little bit of background, is essentially this uh, competition that's open to all rising seniors in high school, where you're able to um, submit a project and then there are multiple rounds. But the project that I submitted was the one that I conducted in my junior year, so last year, and I guess I can give a little bit of background about the problems that I was really trying, that I was focusing on. So today there are three pollutants that are detrimentally harming our planet, but with really limited ways on how to solve them. So first is CO2 and carbon dioxide. And it's clear that the atmosphere concentration of CO2 is increasing really, really rapidly. And I think when people generally think about CO2, we think of its effects in the atmosphere. However, what I also think many people fail to realize are its effects on the ocean. So as the oceans absorb more and more of the CO2, it leads to ocean acidification. And um, by that name, the oceans are decreasing in pH, which is extremely harmful to coral reefs and entire ecosystems as coral reefs are keystone species. And so secondly are oil spills. Every year, around 1 million gallons of toxic crude oil are spilled into oceans every year. And um, what I had found was that there are a lot of current methods to remediate this oil that have already been discovered and um, are used as the status quo every time that there's a spill. However, what I also realized was that a lot of these efforts um, in remediation are only really effective in containing the visible surface contamination that sits on top. And the most standard being oil booms, which act as like a physical flotation barrier around this oil 
um, to capture it. However, although the oil that sits on top is very, very harmful, what, what's lesser known is actually the soluble oil that continues to leach out um, and spread uh, and contaminate even more water. And so this was something that I was also interested in. And then third is plastic pollution. Plastic has definitely gained a lot of notoriety because of how harmful it is, but I was particularly um, focused on styrofoam waste. And polystyrene, the primary component of styrofoam, is one of the hardest materials to recycle, which makes styrofoam um, especially harmful. And so in search of a solution, kind of piecing together these three pollutants, I had come across this uh, material called hypercrosslink polymers, or like HCPs for short. And HCPs are essentially this non, or, uh, these non-polar materials. It's like a powder that has a really high porosity and surface area. And therefore, it has been used a lot in the past, um, and it has um, gained a lot of attention in literature to capture and remove some of the harmful pollutants that I just mentioned. However, there are a couple of shortcomings with HCPs. One is synthesis of them. So traditional HCP synthesis requires use of a lot of costly reagents and methods, but recent literature has actually looked at using um, styrofoam waste to synthesize these HCPs. And so after finding this out, I thought that was really interesting being able to use a waste product, styrofoam waste, to create something that would also be able to mitigate other harmful pollutants. Um, and so that was definitely a point of interest to me, but I also realized very um, early on in that the main shortcoming with HCPs is implementation. So. Right now, they currently resemble this powder, but it's not feasible nor practical to like throw this powder into the ocean or any body of water and hope for the best. And so to me, after finding this out, I thought to myself, if I could create a stable system utilizing these HCPs, like a system that could simply remain indefinitely in water, um, it would potentially be able to remediate some of these some of the most detrimental non-polar pollutants, but in a more meaningful and easily implementable way. And so kind of piecing everything together now, my research basically focused on creating what I called a multifunctional remediation framework, or MFR for short, that was able to effectively remove both soluble oil and CO2 pollutants from water while concurrently lowering the ecological footprint of uh, styrofoam waste. Wow, okay. That's, uh, that is definitely a mouthful. Yes. <laughs> that is, yeah, wow. So you, so you focused on three different key aspects that were actually, you know, causing a lot of issues for the planet. Then you, you found a, a, a chemical material that allowed you to potentially remove uh, these agents from, from the environment. And then you created a topology or framework to implement that 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 solution, so that you could effectively uh, perform the, or excuse me, I should say, so you could effectively remove the all three items holistically, as opposed to just individually. Yeah, did I exactly. get that right? Yes, exactly. And so, okay. what was really interesting to me was this idea of kind of like a regenerative cycle that I would be creating by utilizing this device. So. Okay. What's interesting is that you're not actually physically taking out the plastic or the styrofoam, you're actually utilizing that styrofoam 
to create the material to then remove other pollutants. So this idea of using waste to remove other waste was um, really interesting to me uh, early on and therefore why I wanted to pursue uh, this project. Using waste to remove other waste. That's, yeah, okay. So doing recycling or, or reuse, reusing items, could that fall into like the, the circular economy type of thing mm -hmm. where you're, you're yeah, taking exactly. something that would, okay, so it's still the same thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Interesting. You obviously did really well uh, with, with the Regeneron Science Talent Search. Uh, is there potential opportunity to, to move this even further or like, are you... What are you considering taking this uh, another step further or? Yeah, so for me, I guess uh, next steps for me are I just uh, finished applying to colleges. So that chunk of my time was definitely allocated to that. Um, okay. And so a lot of the work that I was doing or the research that I conducted um, was within my high school's lab. So it nothing was really scaled up. So if I were to pursue this in the future, I would want to scale it up and also use um, I had used artificial seawater and many things, uh, many factors that I could control for. There's just so many other factors that you have to consider when thinking about implementing it like within like the Long Island Sound or any uh, bigger body of water. So okay. um, looking into logistics of that is something I really want to do. But yeah, I guess right now, a lot of my time has been taken from like college apps and just getting that in order. But thinking of next steps, I think real world implementation is something I'm looking towards. Okay, so when you so when you were talking about uh, you did artificial seawater, so uh, it doesn't have some of the microbes and, and 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 other other bacteria and stuff. So so with so you're you're not sure basically if this if this solution would affect those those smaller microbiomes. Is is that is that is that correct? Mm -hmm. So what I wanted to use seawater because. The interactions between the HCPs and the pollutants um, are really happening at a molecular level. So I wanted to see by using seawater if the ions that are present in seawater would affect um, these molecular interactions. So yeah, other obviously next steps would be looking at more tangible interferences between the HCPs and the pollutants. So that would be like physical obstacles like. Yeah, so so we, we did a, a podcast, like our last podcast, uh, we, we were talking about, you know, uh, the, the Arctic, right? And uh, some of the some of the things that are going on up there. And, you know, it, I mean, from a sustainability perspective, it kind of plays into, I mean, it's one planet, right? So, you know, what affects one place is going to affect uh, other places. Do, do you do you know how well this your solution? I, I mean, I, again, I, under, I understand that, you know, it's you haven't scaled it and everything, but just just from some of the your, your background experience how would it work the same way in cold water as it does in like you know I, i'm assuming you had you kept the the temperature kind of close to what standard uh seawater would be but it, does it change when you when it gets into like a colder uh, body of water or, or is it still performed the same or are you not sure or mm -hmm. so yeah once I had actually identified that the HCPs were successful in remediating the pollutants, I had then delved deeper into the real mechanism behind how this technology works. And okay. I actually found out that 
I mentioned this earlier, but the HCPs are very non-polar, and the pollutants that I were targeting are also non-polar. So this interaction between the pollutants and the HCP is just like a London dispersion force um, adhesion. So it's a pretty um, like weak interaction. And okay. so what I had then later hypothesized was that the only way for the device to work is if the HCP gets in contact with the um, with the pollute that I was targeting. So ultimately, I ended up to the conclusion that it really wouldn't matter like what the temperature of water is if there is like a a if there isn't a negligible negligible concentration of the pollutant, then as long as the HCP comes in contact with it, it would be able to um, attach and remediate. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that uh, that that certainly. Uh... That certainly makes sense. That certainly makes sense. So you said you, you mentioned something. You said London dispersion force. Can you can you kind of expound upon that just a bit for for some of our viewers that may not be too familiar? Mm-hmm. I, I know I'm not familiar, so you you you'd definitely be uh, enlightening me. So. Yeah, so um, between molecules, we have like intermolecular forces. Um, so obviously, like with like the bonds between atoms, those are within a molecule. But we also have forces that um, are between uh, molecules, not actually within the molecule, if that makes sense. So when we're looking at the pollutants that we're targeting, let's say um, oil, for example, uh, one of the main components of oil is benzene. So that's a separate molecule. And then um, when we're looking at our HCPs, those are nonpolar, and I found through um, analysis that it's just a really complex carbon, it's just a complex CH molecule. So what I'm saying is that the um, interactions between these two molecules, so they have the CH and the um, oil or the benzene, it's pretty weak, but they're still able to attach. So there isn't like an external fo- external force or external agent that's th- attaching these things two things together it's okay. simply the interactions between the two they're able to like uh symbiotically work to attach and then um you're able to remove those pollutants if that makes sense okay yeah yeah no i i i i think it does i think i was think when you when you were saying dispersion i was thinking like actually something dispersing but but uh yeah, no, yeah that, that... so mm-hmm. LDF is just the type of interaction that they okay. experience. Yeah. I see. Okay. All right. That's, uh, yeah, that's, that's quite, the, quite the creative innovation that you came up with. And, uh, and you certainly did a, a lot of back work in, uh, uh, to ensure that it, it actually is effective. So uh, kudos, kudos. Thank you. So just, just switching uh, gears a bit, uh, can you describe the experience of representing the United States in Sweden at the Stockholm Junior uh, Water Prize. Additionally, how does the international competition differ from local fairs like the Connecticut Science and Engineering Fair and the Connecticut Junior Science and Humanities Symposium? Yeah, so um, it was definitely such a surreal experience. I guess I could talk a little bit about how I actually ended up in Sweden. Um, in the first place. So um, the Stockholm Junior Water Prize is different um, from CSEF and JSHS in that it's purely water-related research. So you need to have a project that is water-related in some way to even be considered. So what happened for me was at CSEF, at the Connecticut Science and Engineering Fair, I had gotten a like state nomination 
to apply to the Stockholm Junior Water Prize. And so I had submitted my paper and then a few months later I got the call that um, I was chosen to represent Connecticut. Um, and so I was really excited about that. And so then what happens is that all of the state representatives are um, flown out to, it was Colorado at the time, to compete um, where they all choose like a U.S. delegate to represent the United States. And I generally had no um, idea that I, uh, that I would be chosen. So it was just being the U.S. Uh, representative was extremely surreal and a transformative experience. It's a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> so that was definitely um, amazing. And then from there, that was around June of 2023. Um, in August, uh, I went to Sweden with I went to Sweden with my mom. She came with me, and um, I was able to compete in the uh, international uh, fair. And there, there was about thirty countries who had all won their uh, country fairs and then competed. So it was just yeah, it was a, it was a crazy experience, especially there. Not only was the Stockholm Junior Water Prize happening, but the Stockholm the actual Stockholm Water Prize was also taking place. Um, at World Water Week, which is, uh, I think it's a week long, yeah, a week where um, all water professionals in different fields come together. And so it was just, so we got to participate in that as well um, and meet, I got to meet the Crown Princess Victoria of Sweden. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, which was definitely crazy and uh, it was it was definitely a great experience. And then, yeah, so I guess now talking about more about local fairs, um, like CSEF and JSHS. I was also able to go to ICEF, which is, um, it's different from the Stockholm Junior Water Prize in that um, anyone who has done research is able to apply to their state fair um, and then hopefully like advance to ICEF. So for any like prospective students that might be listening, um, I could talk a little bit about how that works. So um, for CSEF, our state fair, um, anyone can apply if you're in um, if you're in high school with a project, and from then there are two rounds of competition where there's preliminary judging and then finalist judging. So to qualify for ISEF, you need to either be um, first or second place in physical sciences, first or second place in life sciences, first in engineering, um, first in biotechnology, and then or first in um, urban school challenge. And so for me, I had qualified for ISEF my sophomore year by winning first in physical sciences and then junior year I had qualified by winning first in engineering and so for me ISEF was also just um, a crazy experience it was uh, it's a week long and uh, I think it's probably the biggest science fair in uh, the world today it's like uh, 1600 kids so seeing so many like-minded peers from all around the world um, was such a great experience and my sophomore year going, I had only competed in local or regional fairs. So seeing something of that magnitude and being able to participate was also um, very, very uh, transformative. So not only are the are the local fairs very important because they are the you know, kind of like the stepping stone to, to some of these larger uh, international fairs, but uh, but you 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 can you technically are. Uh, you know, you could be like a hometown hero and, you know, have uh, have like your your entourage, you know, that uh, that shows up to, to root you on and everything. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's really fantastic. So so do you think uh, 
So is the is the Watcher Prize always in Stockholm, or is it does it move around, or? Yeah, so the international one is always in Sweden because it it's adjacent to the Stockholm Water Prize, which is um, always held in Sweden, um, and also okay. World Water Week. Um, it's also I think it's sponsored by the royal family in Sweden, so it's uh, yeah, it's always there. And since Sweden's a bunch of islands, it kind of makes sense that uh, that they would uh, embrace uh, the ocean the way they do. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting. So, so uh, how did you enjoy being in Sweden? What was you said uh, you went with your mom? So, did you guys get a chance to, to sightsee and and do other things besides uh, uh, besides good science work? Or yeah, so that was just before school started, actually. So it was nice to see uh, go to Sweden or just like go anywhere before school starts. Um, we had also gone to Denmark um, afterwards, uh, just for uh, vacation. But yeah, I never gone anywhere specifically in Denmark. Uh, we went to Copenhagen. Yeah, good for you. Yep. Good for you. Copenhagen's uh, probably one of the, at least I find, to be one of the best foodie cities like in the world. Like they have such a diverse uh, population and just the, the food experience there is just absolutely amazing. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if you if you if you if you still thought that as well or not, but yeah, uh, that, that was kind of my experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good, good for you. So you so you mentioned uh, earlier that you were, you know, working on applications for college. So so besides uh, your, your, your college plans, uh, what what other career goals uh, do you have uh, for the future? Um, so I'm definitely interested in uh, civil and environmental engineering currently. Um, I've always been interested in environmental science, uh, even before research. So I definitely want to look into pursuing a career in that field, environmental engineering. But I'm also actually really interested in um, nuclear engineering. So over the summer, um, actually these past two summers, I worked uh, with uh, professors in nuclear engineering um, on other projects, and before I, it was a field that was completely foreign to me. But I actually realized the amount of environmental implications that nuclear energy has. It the field has gone a lot of stigma. I think over the past couple of years, it's definitely something that's become um, politicized um, and is um, a field that has great promise. But there are a lot of drawbacks, like safety concerns and overall just kind of garnering public support. Um, but yeah, anyways, I was able to work on a couple of projects there that were very, very interesting and think like uh, aspects of science that I had never um, ever realized that I might be interested in. So yeah, also very interested there. Um, and I think college for me is definitely a time to explore what I'm interested in. Um, but those two fields so far, what I'm looking towards. Have you have you made any decisions for for college yet or? Um, so I have gone into MIT in the early action round, um, okay. but I'm still waiting on a couple of decisions. Uh, I think that'll come out in March or April. Oh, okay. Okay. What, what other uh, schools are you, where did you apply or are you uh, waiting to hear back from? Um, I applied to uh, Harvard and Stanford. Oh, very good. Very good. So... So you you get to, you you can be on either side of the country basically depending on on, on where you go. Mm. Very nice, very nice.
we, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, some of your travel. Uh, so, I'm, so I'm going to assume that maybe travel is, 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 is part of the things you do for fun. Any other things you, you like to do for fun? Um, so I don't get a lot of time to travel because I think all <laughs> the traveling I've done is for science fair in some way. But uh, definitely want to do more in the future. I think, of going, I think I'm going to Korea to visit my grandparents uh, this summer, which is definitely exciting. And yeah, in the free time, I actually um, really like walking. Uh, just walking around my neighborhood, walking with friends. Uh, I love listening to music. Um, and yeah, I think actually a lot of my time or a lot of my high school was spent doing research. So I don't have many very interesting hobbies, but I like doing those things. No, I mean, I've, hey, you know, walking, listening to music and spending time with friends are, I think, what kind of good hobbies for, for, for most, if not uh, a lot of people. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you were, uh, you were a very busy, uh, young lady and, uh, and you had a lot of, uh, things that you were, uh, that you had on your plate and, uh, uh, and obviously you're, you're bearing, you know, the, uh, the fruits of your labor right now and more to come in the future. Uh, I would, I would, I would imagine, and I would also expect just based off of, uh, all the things that you've currently done, right? So, uh, so fantastic, uh, absolutely fantastic. So, I would I would just like to uh, to thank our guest uh, Naomi Park. Thank you, Naomi. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you today. Thank you for having me as well. This was such a great experience. For those living in Connecticut and others tuning in from outside our state, thank you for sharing what you are learning from your research for helping encourage other students to engage in research in middle and high school, and for inspiring all of us with your achievements. Thank you again, Naomi. I encourage you to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or YouTube, and visit the Academy website at www.ctcase.com. To learn more about our guest, read the episode transcript, and access additional resources, as well as to sign up for the case bulletin. Once again, thank you again, Naomi. This has just been absolutely fantastic.